Emory. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Emory. Praise the Lord. That's a beautiful song. Well, thank you, Sonny, for those kind words. Uh, you quoted Rich Smith a minute ago, and I'll quote him again. I think I said this last year, too, but all that that Sonny said, those nice things about me, it's, uh, Rich would say it's like whipped cream on an onion. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Uh, I don't feel worthy of that. I know that I'm not everything I ought to be or everything I want to be, but as Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and it's for him. And I love you. You're a, you are part. You are in my heart and in my soul and in the heart and soul of my wife and kids. I can't imagine life without you, really. I don't want to. Uh, and we're going to be together forever, you know, one day in heaven with Jesus. And, and uh, I am grateful for that pastor search committee and their persistence because I wasn't looking. I even told them no the first time. Um, but they kept, kept going. And uh, God, it was God's will. And uh, I'm grateful to be here and uh, just grateful for a church family that loves us. And y'all have helped us raise our kids. And um, Sonny, I'd forgotten about that story about the lizards. Um, I still do that, by the way. If you'd like to see that trick sometime, just <laughs> find me a couple of lizards. Uh, I've even taught my children how to do it. But uh, we have a good time. All, a lot of memories here. You know, just some wonderful, wonderful memories. And I, I would agree with Sonny. I, I do feel still like this is the honeymoon 18 years later. I mean, it's just like I'm, I've got every pastor's dream job, every pastor's dream church right here. And uh, pastors covet, I think, what God's given me and such wonderful, loving, gracious uh, people to work with and to, to serve and to, and to pastor. Uh, so thank you. I just want to thank you for all that you do for me and my family. Well, if you will open your Bibles to John chapter 14 this morning. The evidence is everywhere. Our world is deteriorating. This world, our country that has rejected God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is falling apart without Him. We see it everywhere. Two weeks ago, we woke up Monday morning, or at least I did. You may have known about it before you went to bed. But I woke up Monday morning to hear about an enraged man who had walked into a Tennessee church parking lot and shot and killed a 39-year-old lady, then walks into the sanctuary and opens fire, wounding seven others before killing himself. Last Monday, a week ago tomorrow, we wake up to the news about a lunatic opening fire from a high-rise hotel room window in Las Vegas, killing 58 people and wounding almost 500. This past Wednesday, a gunman on County Line Road right outside the New Growth Baptist Church refused to surrender his weapon and was using it in a threatening way towards the officers before he was taken down. All three of these men are now dead, but not before causing much heartache and turmoil and reminding us of the deterioration of our society, right here even under our very noses. And I want to call you, as God's people, to first of all wake up and smell the coffee. Wake up and see what's going on around you. We can't just continue to do 
life as we've always done it. We have to do something different. You know the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over but expecting different results. Well, who's going to make the change? Who's going to start doing something different? You think the world's going to start doing something different? We can't count on them. It has to come back to the people of God. And this is the world we're living in. It's a world that's gone mad. A world Jesus told us was coming. As we read in Matthew 24, he tells us that all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. He talks about how many people are going to be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Paul warned us about this world to come, too, echoing the sentiments of Christ. In 2 Timothy, Paul said there's Know this, that in the last days, perilous, troublesome times will come. And he lists a long list of things to look for. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, no self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but yet they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. Yet in all this, we come to John chapter 14, 15, and 16 in this private setting where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he gave them some clear instructions about how to live in this kind of world. And he summed it up in the very last verse of this teaching time, in verse 33 of chapter 16, when he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. I want you to underline that phrase, in me. You will not have peace in, in the world, but you will have peace in Christ. There is not going to be peace in this world. But if you are in this world and in Christ, you can still have peace. You see, we don't have to be troubled in a troubled world. Remember the first verse in this private teaching session, chapter 14, verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But what? Cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Choose cheer over fear. Why? Because I have overcome the world. We've talked about that in the last several weeks. As to be an overcomer, we've got to remember some things for ourselves that, that Jesus has already overcome. That we live in a fallen world. We can't expect that this world's going to get better. Listen, you can't make the world a better place. You say, well, yes, I can. That's what everybody's telling me. No, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's prophesied. You can make you and those people around you better in Christ. You can influence this culture. You can be the salt and the light. But this world is going to continue to spiral down because it is continuing to reject the one who created it and the one he sent to save it. Jesus. And as long as this world does that, it's going to hell. And the only thing you and I can do is, is be an overcomer 
because he overcame and tried to lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way we're going to make this world <laughs> see the truth. So we live in a fallen world, and it's broken. We live, this is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. Listen, we can make the world a better place spiritually. Do you know that? We, we may not make it better physically, but we can make it better spiritually because it's a spiritual battle. We need to remember that, as Paul just, I read about in 2 Timothy just a moment ago, these are the last days. We need to remember we're strangers in this world, and we need to remember that Jesus Christ is returning for us. Basically, this isn't heaven. This isn't home for us. Now, God says you're in the world. He said, but don't be of the world. In other words, don't put all your marbles right here. Okay? Yes, you're to make a difference here. You're to try to influence the culture for Christ. But this world is passing away, the Bible says. And everybody that hates God is passing with it. Now, our job as a church is to try to rescue those people who are rejecting God. Try to show them the truth that God is God, that Jesus did say, come to save, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's our responsibility. We need to resolve, as I shared last week, to choose cheer, two weeks ago, cheer over fear, not to be afraid. Listen, when, when you hear these reports, like I opened this message with, the, the, the shootings... Church shootings, and that's not the first one. That's just the most recent one. It can cause us to be afraid. And I understand that. But listen, Jesus said, in this world you will have those kinds of things. He told us it was coming. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to do all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. But he tells them, don't be troubled. Cheer up. How can I choose cheer over fear? I, I've got to remember it's all about Jesus Christ. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. He said, in me you can have peace. The, the key is in Christ, abiding in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. So Jesus said, I've overcome the world. How are you going to overcome this that we're living in, this culture, this constant pull away from God? How are you, as a student in high school or college, going to overcome this philosophy that's against God? How are you, a, a workman out in the field, out in the marketplace, how are you going to overcome this pull away from God? How are you going to live faithful to Christ when and it's been, you're being constantly pulled away from Him in every way? How do I do that? Well, he says in John 15, let's read verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch, that's you and me, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, that's Jesus, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So how can I overcome this world? First of all, choose cheer over fear. Second of all, abide in the overcomer. Jesus said, abide in me and let me abide in you. Now, how many of you like tea? We're in South Georgia. How many tea drinkers do we have? All right. Now, I'm not talking about light brown water. I'm talking tea. Now, when, I make, when we make tea at my house, it's tea. It's the color of, it's pretty dark. Maybe the color of that ceiling, even darker. We can't see through it. We go through tea bags rather quickly. But there are several ways to make and drink tea. You know, there's the, the British. They take their hot water and then they take their little tea bag and dip a few times. They dip their tea bag up and down in the mug. And, you know, a lot of Christians are like that. They, they dip in on Sunday morning. Or they dip out for this, that, and the other thing. Then they dip back in on Wednesday, and then they dip back out, and they're just dippers. Well, they're just big dips, one of the two. <laughs> There's another way to make and drink tea, and that's to be an abider. This is where you actually put the tea bags in the water and let them stay in the water. And you let them boil in the water. And you try to get all that to send that tea bag into the water. That's how we make tea. Try to get it as strong as we possibly can. And you begin to see that as you leave the tea bags in the water, the longer you leave it in the water, the water begins to change as the influence of the bag in the hot water affects change in the cup. You see, a person can just sit and watch what's going on and not be changed. And that's the way a lot of church attenders are. They're just dippers. You just, some of you here today may just be dipping in this morning. You're just dipping in. You're not abiding in Christ. The only time you get anything spiritual is on Sunday morning. And then you're dipped back out and you're out there in the rest of the world and you're, you haven't, you're not abiding in Christ constantly. When you're a dipper... You've got to make things happen by your own effect. You've got to move the bag up and down, dip a spoon in and out of the cup, wrap the string around the spoon, jerk and pull, and it requires require a lot of human effort. Or you can just drop the bag in the water and let it take its effect. There was once a gentleman who was meeting with another man, and they were both drinking tea, and the first gentleman tells of the encounter like this. He says, the guy I was having tea with was dipping and pulling away. But I just let my tea bag sit in my cup. He said, I can't let my tea bag sit in the cup like that because the tea would get too strong. And you see, that's exactly the point. When you leave your life in Christ, you get strong. 
You're able to spiritually handle the things that this world is throwing at you. But if you're a dipper, dip in and out of church or out of your walk with the Lord, then you wonder why you're so easily afraid and worrisome and give in to temptation and don't have the answers you need when life hits you upside the head. I want to talk to you this morning and probably next week about how can I abide in Christ. And Jesus tells them here. And this conversation, this private conversation, He teaches them about this evil world that they're living in. And that it's even going to get worse. He tells them in chapter six, uh, 15, it's going to get worse. They hated me, they're going to hate you. He said, but I want, you, I want to teach you how to live in this world. I want to teach you how to be an overcomer. And so that's what I want to share with you. How do we abide in Christ? Number one, and this is very simple. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So I would say, first of all, love Jesus Christ. Love him. Now, what is love? Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, What's the, what was the greatest commandment? And you know Jesus' answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, with all that you are. There are plenty of examples of love, but all of our examples are typically earthly related. For example, the way I love my wife and my children, I'm sure you can relate to with your spouse and with your children. And I should add grandchildren, because I'm going to be a grandpa in a couple, about seven weeks. Maybe I am a grandpa, right? I am. It's just not where I can see her yet. But she's a coming. The love that I have for my family, they're my heart. I give, I want to give them my all. I, I, I would defend them to the death. I'd rather be with them than anybody in the world. Secondly, y'all. I love my church family. Y'all, I said already, y'all are my heart, and, and y'all are our heart and our soul and our family. We can't imagine life without this church. God forbid that he would ever call me away, but if he did, it would be like ripping out my heart. And that's why I come every Sunday. I want to be with you. I, 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 that's why I'm, I spend so much time with my family. I want to be with them because I love them, and that's what it is to love God, to love Christ. You want to be with him. You want to always be in his presence. Mary loved Jesus. She just sat at his feet and soaked him up. She was there at the cross, soaking him up for the very last time, she thought. Just soaking up his presence. Do you love Christ like that? Are you committed to him like that? To abide in Christ means you are loving him. You're keeping your eyes, as we just sang a moment ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You can't see him physically. But you can sit in His presence. You can enjoy Him. Secondly, I would say Jesus taught them here in John chapter 15, verse 12. 
He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Now remember, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he said, if you are going to keep my commandments, you will what? Love one another. So how do I abide in Christ? I love him with all my heart. I enjoy his presence. I long to be with him. And then I, I love others. In verse 17, he says the same, very similar. He said, this, these things I command you that you love one another. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In 1 John, Jesus, uh, John picked up on what Jesus was teaching them in that private moment. Because later he wrote in 1 John chapter 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him. When did John get that commandment? In this private teaching session. And it stuck with John because he wrote about it in 1 John. He said that he who loves God must love his brother also. So how do I abide in Christ? I'm in love with Christ and I'm in love with his people. And you cannot separate the two. You see, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus didn't stop there. He wasn't even asked about what the second greatest commandment was. He was asked about the greatest, but he linked it to the second greatest. And he said, and the second greatest is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You cannot be abiding in Christ and be unforgiving and be bitter and be hateful and spiteful and unkind and gossiping and all those acts of hatred. Now, you can call them what they are, but those are acts of hatred. They're not acts of love. You cannot abide in Christ and have those kinds of things in your life. Those are acts of hatred. And if you hate your brother, if you're displaying acts of hatred towards them or any other person by being unforgiving, unkind, gossiping, slandering, all those works of the flesh, I said, proud, boastful, haughty, all that works of hatred, works of self. He said, you're not loving them, and if you're not loving them, you're not walking in His commandments, and if you're not walking in His commandments, you don't love Him, because He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and my commandment is to love one another. So, love God with all your heart. Work on that. All of us need to work on that. I tell God all the time, God, I, I know I don't love you like I should. Help me to love you with all that I am. I want to love you more. Teach me to love you more. And Lord, I know I don't love others like I do. I, I love too much of me. And I want to love less of me and more of them. God, help me. I need your grace to love people, especially when they're not very loving. And Jesus didn't qualify how we're to love others except as I have loved you. That's the qualification he put on it. Now, how does he love me? Unconditionally. In other words, he has every reason not to love me. I've given him plenty of reasons not to love me. But he still loves me. And he still is gracious and merciful and kind and giving and forgiving and forbearing. He, all these things. And that's the qualification. He said that's how you're to love each other. Don't withhold love because they act unloving. How many times have I acted unloving towards him? More than I can count. 
How many times have I offended him with my sin? More than I can count. But he still forgives. He still loves. And that's how I'm to love you. That's how you're to love each other. To abide in Christ. To be an overcomer. Listen, it's got to be through love. We have to meet evil with good. We have to meet hatred with love. Love covers all. The greatest of these, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is what? Love. So, love God with all your heart. Ask Him to help you to love Him that way. Seek to love Him that way. And ask Him to help you to love others as you love yourself. Ask Him for help. Seek ways. God, show me ways I can do that. Give me opportunities and show me when I failed and help me to make that right because, Lord, I do want to love. Everyone knows that Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is the city of brotherly love. That's what the word means, Philadelphia, brotherly, the city of brotherly love. There's a Philadelphia in the Bible, too. I know you know that. We find it in the book of Revelation. It got its name from Attalus II, whose loyalty to his brother Eumenes II made him famous. So Attalus became famous for the way he loved his brother. Now his, his brother was king. And in those days, it was common for a brother to overthrow the king, who was his relative, either by sedition uh, or murder. But Attalus had the opportunity to unseat his brother and to take his power. It was presented to him as if it were on a silver platter. And because he lived in an age when such things were commonly done, perhaps he might have been tempted. But Attalus remained firmly loyal to his brother and pledged his love and commitment to his brother the king. And they named that city where he reigned. Philadelphia. You see, that's how we're to love. Unselfishly. When we have opportunity to do good, we do good. And even when we have opportunity for revenge, or we have opportunity to make somebody pay, we don't take that opportunity. We instead pledge our love to them. In his book, Reaching Generation Next, Lewis Drummond writes, As Christ became flesh to reach out and save sinners, we must exemplify the same spirit of self-giving to impact others, a willingness to identify with them and the spirit of the incarnation is vital. The challenge for all Christians centers in giving ourselves to the lost just as Jesus did. Love wins most arguments. And listen, we live in a wicked world filled with wicked people who do wicked things. What's the answer? Love. Truth. You see, if we meet their behavior with the same kind of behavior, but just with a Christian title onto it, that doesn't work. 
We have to be men and women and young people committed to loving God with all that we are and loving others. Now, loving others doesn't mean we rubber stamp everything they do. That's not love. Bible says, speak the truth, how? In love. We don't agree with everybody. That's not love either. How can God love me when I've committed so many things against Him? Has He rubber stamped my sin? Or did He actually deal with my sin? He dealt with my sin. He poured out His wrath on my sin. But He poured His wrath out on His Son, Jesus Christ. And you and I have to remember that the punishment for that person's sin that did those terrible things was already poured out on Jesus Christ. And if they will just trust Jesus Christ, then they can escape the wrath to come. And that's what we need to see. We're trying to help that person escape the wrath of God and hell. Because Jesus Christ already took the wrath of God for them. You see, if Jesus died for you, a sinner, Jesus died for that person, a sinner too. Even though their sin may seem to be much more wicked. I mean, last night we were just passing through the first story seemed like the first story on the news last night at 11 o'clock was this guy who was caught in the chick-fil-a restaurant and i know i can't say this because we have younger children in here but he was caught doing something awful to a baby man my blood began to boil i would like to take that guy and wring his neck and hurt him for doing such a terrible thing to a baby. But I have to remember that that's what I deserve because I've done the same thing to God with my sin. As that man's sin has offended me, and that baby's family. My sin. Oh no, I've never done anything like that guy did. That's easy to say. But what have I done? That's offended a holy, righteous, perfect, spotless God. And instead of giving me what I deserved, He put it on His Son, Jesus Because He loved me. How could He love me after what I've done? How could He love that man that I'm telling you about after what He's done? How could I love Him? It's impossible. Except for the grace of God. You see, I can't love God the way I'm supposed to. This is the ironic thing, without God's help. It's not all up to you. I can't love others like you and my family like I ought to without God's help. That's why I have to abide in Him. I've got to keep my relationship fresh with Him because just as that tea bag left in the water turns that water into great tasting tea... So when I abide in Christ, He transforms my life. 
He makes me a person that loves Him. He makes me a person that loves others. I didn't do that by myself because by myself I want to hurt people that hurt people. I want to treat people bad that treat me bad. That's what dippers do. I don't want to live a dipping life. I don't want to be a dipstick. I want to be a soaker-upper, an abider. And so do you. Because that's how you and I are going to overcome this world. By abiding in Christ. Letting Him abide in us. And if He's abiding in us, guess whose life gets to be seen? His. I don't want them to... You know, yeah, Sonny gave you a little picture of, of me. You know, yeah, I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with hanging lizards off your ear, but... If that's the worst I ever did, it would be okay, but I've done work much worse than that. You wouldn't want to know. I wouldn't want to tell you some of the things that I've done in my life. That's all been apart from me abiding in Christ. You see, the real me would not react very godly. But the new me the new me that's found in Jesus Christ. See that old me? Yeah, I still wrestle with it every day. And every situation, and, and, and every day a situation comes up that, that calls the old me to react. But I've got to, as Paul said, take off the old me and put on the new me. That's in Jesus Christ. And these are robes of His righteousness. Mine is unrighteousness. God help us to live an overcoming life. And we're going to need to remember these things this week. Love. Love for God. Love for one another. Let's pray together.